As many of you, or all of you know, we finished our series in First Peter. And so since Thanksgiving season is upon us, the pastor asked me if I would preach on thankfulness appropriately enough. So I've chosen for my point of departure a text from First, 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 first Thessalonians. There's a TH in there somewhere. Chapter 5. Verse 18, so Paul's church to the Christians in Thessalonica, chapter 5, verse 18, reads, Give thanks when and if you feel so inclined to do so. (laughs) No, no it doesn't. It says, give thanks in all circumstances. And then these next words are very important. For this is the will of God and Jesus the Messiah for you. So no matter what we're facing, no matter what problems we're dealing with, no matter how we feel, according to Paul, we owe God a debt of gratitude. When I was at Point Loma Nazarene University, I actually studied business administration, which I did not like. And when you study business, you study finance and economics, but you don't really need to go to college to understand in a capitalist society what really drives the monetary value of the commodities we buy and sell is scarcity. Right, And the concept makes sense from a capitalist point of view. The less you have of something, the less people can have it, the more valuable it becomes. But it also leads to some really strange consequences that people have pointed out. For example, any of us today, we could go to a grocery store or a convenience store and for a couple of dollars we could buy a bottle of water. Right, And everybody recognizes that water is absolutely essential. We cannot live without water. A few days without water and you're not going to make it. So we have to have water in some form. And we can all afford it. If you wanted to buy a diamond with the same mass as a bottle of water, you would have to be extremely wealthy. And this, even though we could go our entire life without ever seeing a diamond, having a diamond, and be perfectly prosperous, happy, and content. And this idea, I think, sometimes blinds our judgment, and we begin to take things for granted, and we begin to think if we have something in abundance, it's not really all too valuable. When I was in grade school, the principal set up a talk. She had an ex-convent convict come and talk to us. Amazing how well, by the way, grade school students and ex-convicts get along. He, he, was, he was arrested and he went to jail for activity related with gang behavior. And so they wanted, to, he wanted, they wanted him to come to us and talk to us about why you shouldn't be in a gang. And there's one thing that he said to us that I remember to this day. And it's interesting, you never know what's going to stick out. But he said that whole time he was in prison, he never saw the stars at night. Because at night, he was in his cell. And they don't have windows or skylights. It's kind of like this chapel. And (laughs) 
Just saying, I, I miss Windows sometimes. But I'll wager, like most of us, prior to his incarceration, he probably didn't think much about the stars. Because, you know, if you live in Ridgecrest, you can go out most nights and you can see the stars. Unlike our friends in San Francisco or Los Angeles. But contrast our attitude to the attitude of the psalmist in Psalm 8. When he writes, When I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers... The moon and the stars which you have ordained. What is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you visit him. In other words, the psalmist, he looked out at the night sky and he saw these dazzling lights. And he said, God, why do you even care about people? It's so amazing. The universe is so brilliant and beautiful and man seems so insignificant in comparison. How amazing that you have ordained the moon and the stars. And yet, when's the last time we thanked God for the stars? Or to take another example, I've often joked that if the Roman Catholic Church really wanted to prevent people in England from reading the Bible in English, they should not have burned Tyndale at the stake. What they should have done is let him do his work, publish a bunch of Bibles, and then hand three or four out to every household. Because then they'd have a situation like we have here in America where we have enough Bibles to build a bridge to Mars and no one reads them. They sit on tabletops and in bookshelves collecting dust. And we forget that people have spilled blood to afford us this moment right here, right now, where we can hear the Word of God in our native language. And when is the last time I said, God, thank you for the scriptures, that I have access to you, that I can connect to you through the written word. You see, give thanks in all circumstances. We tend to immediately go to, yes, it's difficult to give thanks when times are difficult, and it is, and I'm going to talk about that in a little bit, or towards the end. But part of our problem is we have a difficult time giving thanks when things are good. That's one of the things we need to learn. If you go with me, if you have your Bibles, you'd like to read along. I'm going to read a passage from Deuteronomy chapter 8. And I think the first verse that I want to read is verse 11. Yes, this is Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 11. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments and His rules and His statutes which I commanded you today. Lest, when you have eaten and are full and have built houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fire serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, that your fathers did not know that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware, lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. In other words, God's talking to His people said, Look, you were in Egypt. You were in slavery. I brought you out of slavery. You were wandering in the wilderness. I took you out of the wilderness. 
And I planted you in the promised land. And I gave you houses, and I gave you cisterns, and I gave you vineyards, and I gave you silver, and I gave you gold. Beware, because when you have eaten and are satisfied, you're going to be tempted to start taking it all for granted. And you're going to forget the Lord your God. And what's been giving, given as a blessing becomes perceived as something that God owes us. And we forget to be grateful. And what makes this all the more interesting is how much it burns us up when people show us ingratitude. Anyone who's ever had children knows exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, you have instances in which you're going out of your way, you're sacrificing time and energy to help someone, to encourage them, whatever the case may be. How angry do we get when they either don't take notice or what's even worse, complain? And I'm going through Dostoevsky's novel right now, The Brothers Karamazov, and there's a passage I want to share because it pertains to what I'm talking about right here where there's a, a lady who goes to a monastery and she's talking with a monk and she's saying that she really wants to live the life that the Lord wants her to live. And she wants to go out and she wants to minister to the sick and the needy. But she has a problem. And the monk she's talking to says, well, I think you're ready for this work. But here's what she has to say in response. Yes, but would I last in such an existence for long? The lady continued hotly and almost in a kind of frenzy. That is the question. That is the question that torments me most of all. I close my eyes and ask myself, would you last long on such a path? And if the sick person whose sores you're washing does not at once respond with gratitude, but starts instead to torment you with caprices, failing either to cherish or even notice your devotion, begins to shout at you, making rude demands, even complaining to someone in authority, the way that people in great physical suffering often do, what then? Will my love survive or will it not? And then you see, I realized with a shudder that if there is one thing that would be capable of instantly cooling my active love for mankind, it is ingratitude. She's saying, I could put up with anything. I'll go down there and I'll minister to these people who are sick and needy, but there's one thing that I just can't put up with. It's ingratitude. And I, I think we can sympathize with her. There's another interesting passage in Luke I want to go to. I know I'm jumping around, so please bear with me. Luke chapter 17. The importance of recognizing the value of what God does for us. In Luke chapter 17, there's a story beginning with verse 11. Where Jesus and his disciples are on their way to Jerusalem. And they're between Galilee and Samaria. And they're entering into a village and there are ten lepers there who start crying out to Jesus. And leprosy was a huge burden to wrestle with in ancient Palestine, not simply because of the skin disease, which, which of course is just horrifying. But what's equally bad, if you were a leopard, you were cut off from society. You were forced into the margins. You were an untouchable. You were not allowed to participate in the day-to-day goings-on and doings of your community until your leprosy cleared up. And so what would happen is... If your leprosy was cured or healed, you would go to a priest. And if the priest gave you a clean bill of health, then you could rejoin the community. So they cry out to Jesus and they say, have mercy on us. 
And Jesus says to them, go show yourselves to the priest, which would have taken some faith on their part because they're not instantaneously healed. But they submit to what Jesus says. He says, go show yourselves to the priest. And so they begin. And on the way to the priest, they are cleansed of their leprosy, the ten men. But out of those ten, there's only one who recognizes the value. This is astounding. There's only one who really recognizes the value of what has just been given to him. And he runs back to Jesus and he falls down on his face and starts giving him thanks and glorifying God. And Luke says this particular individual was a Samaritan. Now that's, that's an important little detail, by the way. The Jews and the Samaritans did not get along. The Jews were very prejudiced against the Samaritans, resentful towards them. Because even though they claimed a common ancestor in Abraham, the Samaritans had assimilated into pagan culture and had left orthodox theology, so to speak. And yet what's amazing is how compassionate Jesus is towards Samaritans in the gospel story. Yeah, this story here, you also have the woman at the well in John chapter 4, right? And you have the parable of the good Samaritan, one of the most well-known parables Jesus ever spoke. The hero is a Samaritan. Now this is really important for anybody like myself, and I'm in this camp, who cares about the truth. The truth has to be sought, has to be sought under the guiding hand of love. Because if you pursue truth without love, you lose both love and the truth. Now this Samaritan, his theology might not have been orthodox, but his heart was right. And Jesus cared about that more. Now that doesn't mean the truth doesn't matter. But the head and the heart both need to be fully devoted to God. Now that's a little bit of a digression, admittedly, but very important for us to remember, to recognize the value of what we've been given. Because if we don't learn to be grateful, we will learn to be covetous. You know, you could walk into a room full of children that are perfectly content in playing. And I, I marvel at this. I marvel at the power of covetousness to make people miserable. It is truly, it is astounding. If I wanted to, I could walk in that room and make every single one of those children miserable in almost an instant. And guess what? I wouldn't have to yell at any of them. I wouldn't have to take away anybody's toy. I wouldn't have to threaten punishment. I wouldn't have to do any of that. All I have to do is walk into the room with one new toy and give it to just one child and walk out and those little angels that were perfectly content they will turn into wolves ready to tear each other apart because of one toy they're almost as bad as adults and that is that is the power of covetousness and it it is folly and it come it stems it begins with ingratitude it begins with failing to recognize our blessings there's another Powerful story along these lines in 1 Kings. Actually, I'm gonna, I didn't actually read from Luke. I'm gonna read from 1 Kings. Chapter 21, the story of Naboth. Naboth's vineyard. Let me read to you 1 Kings chapter 21 verse 1 down through verse 4. 
Now Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard in Jezreel beside the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. And after this, Ahab said to Naboth, Give me your vineyard, that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it is near my house, and I will give you a better vineyard for it. Or, if it seems good to you, I will give you its value in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. And Ahab went into his house vexed and sullen because of what Naboth the Jezreelite had said to him. For he said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he laid down on his bed and turned away his face and would eat no food. Poor Ahab. He's only, he's only the most powerful, richest, wealthiest person in Samaria. And he is emotionally paralyzed. He's forgotten everything that he has, all because he doesn't have Naboth's vineyard. And it leads to Naboth's murder. So this is serious business. This, this business of giving thanks in all circumstances. Because ingratitude comes with its own punishment that we will experience in varying degrees. Now... Like I said, so we need to learn to give thanks when times are good. But what about when we are facing crushing disappointments, as all of us do along this journey? You know, genuine disappointment in which we really are despairing. We don't have a path. We feel like we're lost. How do you, when you're in those depths, genuinely and sincerely give thanks to God? Here's one thing that someone once showed me. It's a practical exercise, which I have found to be extremely helpful. But when you're feeling, when you're in that kind of mood, one thing that is really wise to do is to find a quiet place, get there alone with your Bible, find some appropriate passages that are directed towards whatever you're dealing with, and read them out loud. Now that might sound strange. But I guarantee if you sit alone with this, with this Bible and you find those passages and you start reading them out loud, there is power in the scriptures. And one, one passage that's really good, I'll go ahead and share because we read just last week and it's a wonderful promise to remember when times are difficult is in 1st Peter. 1st Peter chapter 5 verse 10, which we just read last week. Um, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And to just get alone and read those words out loud. I believe it really will change your heart and it will change your mind. I'm not saying your problems are going to go away. I'm not saying your problems are going to disappear. What I'm saying is I believe God will comfort you. Now equally important and equally difficult in this situation, is to remember the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God, fascinating enough, has very important practical implications. It is a very practical doctrine. Romans 8.28 For those who love God, all things, there's that word all again, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Now I find in my own experience it is easier not always easy, but easier to believe in the sovereignty of God when I'm thinking about the general course of my life. 
when I'm thinking about the general course my life is taking, I feel like I can see the providential hand of God at work. I'll tell you, for me, when it becomes really difficult to believe in the sovereignty of God is when I'm dealing with minor irritations that seem completely pointless. That's when I, in all, in all seriousness, maybe I'm alone, but I lose faith in the sovereignty of God in those situations. You know, the other night I was at Walmart, the pharmacy. Right, and all I had to do is say pharmacy and people were like, okay, we get it. Right, because you know, you know what it's like. And I was so happy. I got there, there was no one in line. I was saying, this is going to be wonderful. Well, there's one person in line in front of me. And, uh, they, they get taken care of. I, I go up there, the lady hands me the prescription. I get it paid for. I'm about to take it from her hand. And she says, but you need to consult with the pharmacist. And this is prescription I've had before, many times. But I've got to consult with the pharmacist who's busy with another couple, which means I've got to wait 15 or 20 minutes. And I stopped believing in that moment that all things work together for good. I'm thinking, God, you know what? Some things are just pointless and stupid. And this is one of them. And it's like I said, it's hard. It's hard to, to calm down and just say, okay, well, wait a minute. Am I going to believe that? Am I really going to believe that? Or am I not? Am I going to believe that some things work together for good? Or am I going to believe that all things work together for good? For those who are called according to His purpose. I'm going to close this morning with a quote from William Law. This is one of my favorite quotes. He once wrote, Would you know who is the greatest saint in the world? It is not he who prays most or fasts most. It is not he who gives most alms or is most eminent for temperance, chastity, or justice. But it is he who is always thankful to God who wills everything that God wills, who receives everything as an instant of God's goodness and has a heart always ready to praise God for it. Let's pray. Our Father... We commend our hearts to You. And we pray You'll fill us, these empty vessels, Your vessels of clay, we pray that You'll fill us with Your love. We need Your love to fill us up so that we can love. We need Your gratefulness so that we can be grateful, Lord. And we do need it and we confess our need for it, our need for You. Lord, forgive us, silly as we are, for, for taking the, the blessings that You've blessed us with for granted. And we just pray that You will uh, not only forgive us, but lift our hearts up in the name of Your Son, so that Your name can be glorified in all that we say and do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.